Welcome to the Lead Full Podcast, hosted by Chesley Lunday. In each episode, we bring you innovators and creatives that share their insights to help you eradicate futility in your life so you can lead from fulfillment. Only fulfilled leaders can fill the world with hope. Get ready to lead full. Hey, today we are going to talk to Rob Wagner and Lance Ford. Now, they just wrote a book with Alan Hirsch that's called The Starfish and the Spirit. It is about decentralization of church and what the church might actually look like in the next few years. Hey, so take a listen or a look to my conversation with Rob Wagner and Lance Ford. Here we go. All right. Well... Rob, I met you in person. We've hung out before, uh, yes, but this is the first time I met Lance. How are you doing, guys? Doing Good, just brother. fine. <laughs> yeah, so um, we'll just jump right in. You guys uh, just um, like released a book called The Starfish and the Spirit. Um, so, yeah, yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you didn't notice? <laughs> I know it's been doing really well on Amazon. so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that it, it happens. It happens. So, yeah, I would love to jump in. I'll tell you to prep for the show. I uh, so I was probably in my early twenties, if that, when uh, Starfish and the Spider came out. So I had never read it, which is crazy because I read business books like they're going out of style. So for like the last two days, I've been like <laughs> jumping into that book. So I have like more context into the conversation because I read your guys's and I'm like, man, this is a fascinating conversation. Uh, probably a conversation that not everybody is uh, has had before when it comes to church and and building a new sort of organization. So I would love to uh, first off, open it up to you guys to tell your story in the background context of why you guys decided to write this book. Yeah, well, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll kind of kick that, that conversation off. Uh, well, like you just mentioned the starfish and the spider, uh, Ori Brothman and Rod Beckstrom came out with that book and it's been about 16 years ago. And, uh, it wasn't long after the book came out. Um, I met Ori at a uh, conference Neil Cole was putting on in Long Beach. And so Ori and I hung out. We became friends. Um, we did a couple of projects together uh, alongside a, uh, a website that Alan Hirsch and I had started called uh, Shapevine. And so this is, this is the early days of the Internet actually working a little bit. Uh, with video and different things, and, and it was still very, very clunky. But anyway, we did a few projects with Ori. Ended up uh, even having Ori speak at a couple of conferences for us. So I've had a long relationship with Ori, and uh, I know over the years, and Rob would bear witness to this, just myriads of pastors that we talked to, or you'd walk into their office and look at their books, and the Starfish and the Spider was was on their bookshelf, and so. This book was about decentralized leadership, and the metaphor of the starfish and the spider was and is that you've got two entities, uh, two organisms that look very much alike uh, from a distance. So you've got a body, you've got legs or arms protruding out, and uh, they the metaphor represents centralized leadership and decentralized leadership. So a spider, uh, if you cut its head off, it dies. If you cut a starfish in two, it multiplies uh, because it's a neural network. And so the intelligence of the starfish is in the body. Is it, it is a complete neural network. Uh, and so the metaphor is that with centralized leadership, if the leader, uh, which is usually a guy, <laughs> so if the leader dies or gets fired or falls through, you know, sin or whatever, uh, the organ, the organization, quite often, uh, is never the same, and sometimes it just completely goes away. Uh, but with a starfish, if you have decentralized the the leadership, and you, or you decentralize the activity, or both, it actually just multiplies. You really can't kill the thing, and so uh, our belief is that that's the way that Jesus designed his church. 
and he designed the leadership within the church. And so the intelligence is within the body. But it's an understatement to say, by and large, our leadership uh, ways and means have been spidery rather than starfishy. Yet Jesus created a starfishy uh, network, and that's why it grew. That's why it grew you know, really quick. And, and the thing is that the starfish doesn't grow as quick early on, but then it goes nuts. It goes exponential. And so that book had really impacted myself and and then Alan Hirsch and um, a lot of Alan and Mike Frost's work in Alan's book, The Forgotten Ways, where he talks about the 6M DNA, the, the uh, DNA of missional movements, uh, had obviously impacted Rob and I both. But I had been thinking about this for years and years and years and thinking, man, there ought to be a starfish type of a leadership and churchy book. And so I started working with Ori on it about five years ago, actually. And so we were, we were going to write it together. Um, and so after a while, uh, Ori just really felt like it just wasn't in, enough in his wheelhouse. Um, but before that, I really felt impressed. We had actually started working on sketching the book out. And I felt like Rob was supposed to be part of it. And, um, and so, in, you know, I, I didn't even get the invite out of my mouth. And Rob said, yep, yep, yes, 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 just to meet Ori. I'll do it. <laughs> and so, uh, actually, Rob and Ori and I really started working on the book. And then after a while, Ori just felt like it just wasn't for him. And, and, um, but Ori really became a coach for us through it. Uh, in fact, Ori came up, we were going to name the book The Starfish in the Church, which is the name of our podcast, by the way shameless plug <laughs> there you um, go but he you said go. you know if you name it the starfish in the spirit uh it really opens up which is our intentions for any faith-based organization a faith-based business whatever these principles are universal and so uh he ended up really coaching us through it and then uh as we started working th through it um when when ori really felt like he was he said, hey, man, I'll, I'll do the forward. I'll back you up. You can use the, the title. You can use Starfish stuff. I'll help you any way I can. In fact, he even helps us on some of the podcasts, and we'll continue to do so. But uh, uh, then Rob, lo and behold, he gets a call from his mom, who is not a charismatic prophet, but she calls him up one morning and says, hey, I had a dream. You guys are supposed to invite Alan Hirsch to be a part of this book. And so we're like, okay, so... We we leaned on Uncle Al, and uh, and we felt like his role, and he was totally down for it, was to really kind of be this be a a, a commentator throughout the book, uh, because we really mutated a lot of uh, a lot of the forgotten ways type of stuff in it, and we brought it together because those two books had come out around the same time, and they have heavily impacted the church and leaders. So that's the little nickel tour of how the book came about and then we went through about four years of trying to write it which usually it takes like a year or two to write a book. Right, right. We had all kinds of delays delayed delayed, just crazy stuff and then there was this 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 little little bump in the road called yeah. covid yeah um but i tell you um we've said it dozens and dozens of times to each other and to others um that the the lord's timing on the book could not have been better it 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 needed to come out now and not then, not a year ago. Uh, and we're seeing the reception that way as leaders are looking for answers and, and ways to um, be the church differently and do leadership differently. And, you know, over the just even the last, you know, two or three years, we've just seen even more leaders go down, big name leaders. I mean, when you have names like Bill Hybels and Rabbi Zacharias yeah. and all these, and it's really all, and we point it back to um, a lot of that could have been avoided. Um, if we'd lead the way Jesus said to lead. Absolutely. Rob, so tell me, obviously we got Lance's side and then you have this whole journey of you joining up with the book. Like, uh, tell us like what that process looked like for you. Well, I read, uh, the starfish and the spider, or is it the spider and the starfish? Starfish and the, the starfish and yeah. the spider. He inverts it. He inverts that. <laughs> That's I'm all right. Always His book is only the starfish and the spirit. So you know. <laughs> I know. I was, are you? Oh heck! 
there's times that we're in interviews and we say, well, we wrote the book, The Starfish and the Spider. And we yes. go, oh, no, 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 we didn't no. write that one. Where we did. <laughs> did it's that awesome. Week, actually. Yeah. Um, and The Forgotten Ways, I read both the books yeah. on a plane ride to India. And it felt like this sort of time standstill, surreal experience with Jesus. And at that point in time, we were three or four years into a new disciple making movement that was becoming a church planning movement in Southern India. And I was spending, you know, significant amount of time there and experiencing the church in its most primal form and watching a level of transformation and multiplication that felt like something ripped out of the book of Acts. And when reading those two books, it was like a Rosetta stone of interpretation of what was going on and why it was happening. And I mean, I, I, I came out of the plane, like holding the two books, you know, running to meet the apostolic leaders. Hey, hey! <laughs> you know, I'm trying to draw things on the board and explain it. And I've, I've only read it once. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So um, and it really has been, you know, a journey ever since then to rediscover that, recapture that. Um, eventually that has become, you know, a team that launched this thing called the Kansas City Underground, which is meant to be designed on on the theological and philosophical base of the MDNA and the Forgotten Ways. Which are like like uh, Lance said, those are kind of six different missional elements that when they're combined together, you see the church go kaboom into a decentralized um, movement form. And then the starfish leadership style, which is really the way of Jesus. And it's about um, helping everybody realize that you are a follower and a leader, that you are a student and a teacher, that everybody is equally ordained. There isn't a junior varsity Holy Spirit for <laughs> normal people. And then you select leaders, get the real Holy Spirit. It's like, no, we're all called to maximum influence. And we have to learn how to create um, a culture that's about moving power and authority and equipping to the farthest edges and it keeps pushing farther through multiplication and reproduction. Um, so it's interesting. It's weird that the Lord has led me on a journey personally where I'm like, I'm writing the book with these, like with Lance and actually Ori and Alan. How did that happen? Right. Yeah. <laughs> how, how did these guys who were my mentors from afar become my actual friends? It's like a miracle for me, you know? Um, so I just want to say to everybody, if you follow Jesus, it will not be boring. Hmm. Just stay on his heels and it's you're going to end up places you never thought you'd be. And it costs you more than you want to pay. Let me make that clear. I, I got here primarily through ways of humility, suffering, and a long obedience in the same direction. But it's also exquisite mm -hmm. in its joys and the fruit that you see in your life and other people's lives so when lance asked me it was kind of a no-brainer it was like are you yes okay i mean <laughs> i don't you know there's some things you don't have to pray about because you're so clear about your calling with yeah. the spirit those are few and far between most of the time you ought to wait and pray but it was almost instant it was like yeah only jesus could arrange this thank you lance i'm going to kiss you on the lips now thank you <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> so I was I was reading um, this book, and I want to go into basically the philosophy behind what it means to be a starfish versus a spider. Uh, but as I'm reading, like one of the hardest things to explain in the Christian faith is the Trinity, right? And then as I'm reading this, I'm like, oh, oh, this makes complete sense. Mm. This is exactly how the Trinity would operate, right? Yeah. So how can yep. Jesus be Absolutely. fully God and fully man? Well, he's got the DNA, you know? And so he is the, the Godhead, I, I, especially reading uh, Starfish and the Spider, as I'm seeing how the Apaches work, and they talk about that uh, mm -hmm. in the book. But I, I just start going, oh, this is a much better explanation of how the Trinity operates and how it can be three and one all at the same time than any other explanation I have ever heard of. So it was pretty, it's pretty it's really interesting. Good. It, it's really true. Yeah, it really is true because I mean, you know, it, it's not like, um, 
God is the senior pastor and Jesus is the executive pastor and, and, you know, the Holy spirit is the CFO, you know, it's like, no. yeah, they, they have a collective intelligence, right. And they don't move independent of one another and they don't trump one another. That's good. Yeah. That, yeah. that part, that's really interesting. It's really moving Chesley that that was the first thing that really stood out for you. Hmm. Because that really is the deepest theological foundation for what we're doing. You're the we've done a ton of interviews. You're the first person who's ever yeah, mentioned it. That's really so good. It says a lot about the way you're looking at the world. But that's in a the book is a series of seven starfish. In that observation, we're talking about what we call the structure starfish. Like so how do we how do you organize around a decentralized organic structure? And we talk about how most of the spider lar- uh, leadership, which is predominant in the church, is built on a a pyramid, you know, with one or a few people at the top and everyone underneath. And we're talking about a starfish movement. It's it's circle cell, so it's about the reproduction of these open circles. And the, and what you're saying is true. The Godhead is a circle, you know, and in and of himself. He is a community of mutual submission and nothing influences our lives more than our image of God. And there's still a lot of Christians that are holding a pagan image of God. Like we basically see him like Zeus and he's like sort of this angry God with a thunderbolt who's sitting on a throne rather than three in one loving, benevolent, generous, joyful community of exchanging love adoration and mutual submission and when you the early uh i think it was the capitonian uh early church fathers uh described it almost like a like a circle dance um between the father son and the spirit that we get pulled into so those circles of equality and interdependence uh, th- you look at the story of the early church. That's what, what was being reproduced. Yeah, yeah. All over the Roman Empire. And it was the first, it was the most inclusive community the world had ever seen. It's like male, female, slave and free, Jew and Gentile. Mm-hmm. And you start getting into like the details and how leadership working patriarchy right off the shoot. Or it's like, you've got Phoebe, you know, who's a deacon and Junia, who's an apostle. And you've got, it's not Aquila and Priscilla. It's Priscilla and Aquila. Wait a second. That doesn't happen in the ancient world. The man's always. Oh, it doesn't. Why are you saying Priscilla and Aquila? Paul's making a point. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and you start seeing this multi-ethnic, socioeconomically diverse community emerging. But it doesn't look like that today in the Western church. Yeah, it doesn't. You need to return to that. Absolutely. So talk, talk to us a little bit about what, uh, what a starfish organization is versus a, a, a spider organization. Well, you know, yeah, well, you know, a starfish organization is one that, uh, I guess we could just talk a little bit about structure there. It's the way it's structured. So it really does start off with that. What, what, Rob was just talking about as far as a circle cell, you know, whereas most of our leadership structures, most of our organizations uh, are pyramids, right? Top down. And that's the way the leadership is just about every element of leadership that we experienced uh, as mankind has been uh, hard hierarchy, right? Top down. And, and Jesus in Matthew 20, he, when, the lead, when, the, when the disciples are jockeying for position, you know, James and John get their mama to go talk to him to try to make sure that they get you know, the positions they want. You know, Jesus is actually the context of that in Matthew 20. Jesus is um, he's talking to them. Uh, he's trying to talk to them about his death. You know, hey, I'm getting ready to die on the cross. And then they immediately start going into this deal about well hey, we don't want to talk about that we want to talk about our positions in your you know in your administration and he has to sit them down and say whoa 
you guys, have you not seen how I've operated the last three years? If you're going to be uh, great in my kingdom, you, you're going to have to be a servant. You know, if you want to be first, you're going to have to be last. And um, so he, you know, makes this statement there in Matthew 20. He says, the Gentiles, which really represents Babylonian ways, the Gentiles exercise dominion over one another. I mean, they're always dominating one another. It will not be that way among you. And the crazy thing um, is, is that that's exactly the way it is among us. Right. For the most part. Uh, you know, the church growth uh, industry um, that started about 50, 60 years ago, it gave way about 25 years ago to what I would say the leadership, the church leadership industry. So it's like now you, mostly everything we hear about is leadership, leadership, leadership. Um, in fact, I was just reading this morning, I was reading a large article by a very well-known pastor, leadership uh, thinker, um, and he was writing about you know coming out of COVID and what we need to do and, and what we can learn from um, some of the churches that are doing it well. Yeah. And it was, I, I did a word count on it. It was a 2,500 word plus word article and the word disciple and discipleship was not used one time. Mm. So, you know, I, I was like, Oh my, have we learned anything? So a starfish organization is circle celled. Um, it is sparked by catalyst, and so you have to start changing your role. The role of a leader, rather than being a dictator, one that tells and bosses, becomes a catalyst. And so you change your role and say, no, I'm here to catalyze leadership. I'm here to catalyze the vision that Jesus gave us. You know, we always talk about mission, vision, you know, all this stuff. Well, we already have a purpose statement. We already have a vision statement. Jesus gave it to us. Go and make disciples, Right. Um, you know, love your neighbor as you love yourself. I mean, just start right there. Um, it's collaborative. So we say it's collaboratively guided. There's complete collaboration. It's a peer network. It's a peer network of leaders with mutual submission. Um, it's guided by elders and mentors. And so that's, once again, our, our roles start changing in a starfish type of culture to saying, no, we're, we're to be mentors, not to be bosses. And there's an organic hierarchy rather than a, a hard, heavy hierarchy, uh, sometimes a hostile hierarchy. It's organic. And so that organic hierarchy is really the systems and the mutual submission and the processes and the practices, which we offer a lot of and, and tons of examples of it, that those become our bosses. Our systems become our bosses. And, and humans aren't our bosses, but for the most part, in spider leadership and in spider ways, we thought you have to have management, you have to have human managers, which creates patriarchy uh, and paternalism. And so for the most part, spider uh, organizations treat people as if they're not adults. You know, mm -hmm. so you've got, you've got an office full of people that were managed, that managed to get married, raise children, have a mortgage, uh, you know, grill steaks without burning the house down, uh, shave their face or their legs without bleeding out, and they get to the office, and then we treat them as if they're children. Right. And as if they don't have competency. And that pretty much is the way that leadership works now. And in the church, you have pretty much one or two bosses now. You have a, you know, you got the senior or lead pastor and the executive, and they pretty much call everything. So it's a, and then everyone else is treated as if, you know, they've got a limited amount of competency and trust. And so it's a very highly trusted uh, network, too, where we trust those who are around us. We trust the intelligence of Jesus in them. They have the mind of Christ. Ephesians 4, when it talks about the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher, it says that the body builds itself up. It creates maturity. And so, you know, I was talking with a pastor just last week. He planted a church 25 years ago, and he's still pastoring, which is amazing. I mean, huge kudos <laughs> yeah, to him. Right. Been pastoring the same church for 25 years. You don't hear of that much anymore. Nope. But he was wanting some help on discipleship pathway because after 25 years, they still had no real competent pathway of making disciples. Mm. And I mean, he knew it. I mean, he, he recognized it was looking for help. 
but I think that that's true for a lot of our churches because we focus so much on making church rather than making disciples. Yeah. So I sorry, I got a little no. There. That's good. I one of the things that I am uh, struggling with, obviously, when you're moving to from a uh, hierarchical organization that you would call more of a spider organization, where it's centralized, it has a brain, right? It's not. It, and the starfish is more of uh, no. This is in its DNA. It's in the cellular uh, functions of of this organism. It's not hierarchical. I I'm trying to figure out. Okay, how do you make the steps from here to here when you have all this institutional memory? Is that is that even possible? Yeah, you know, for me, for example. Um, let me give you a couple of examples to tell you what it looks like. So I'm in one of the contexts would be a very large mega church, you know, maybe five or 6,000 people gathering on the weekend. Um, and there is a hierarchy for sure. Um, there was a, you know, lead teaching pastor and executive pastor, you know, there's a circle of elders. There's a kind of a separate board. And then there's different kind of layers in the staff. You have like directors and then you've got kind of staff even below them that are reporting to the directors um what i wanted to do was basically create in my department um a spider not a spider culture but at least like it moving down the continuum towards starfish so okay. you've got spider and then you could go to spider fish and then you could have a starter these kind of combo hybrid organizations so for example um, I refused to take a title, which was odd. They're like, what? Like, yeah. Yeah. I just want to be Rob. Yeah. So I overt, I mean, I like, uh, overtly resisted having a title. They wanted to give me uh, an office with nice windows mm. and everybody else who was on my team had cubicles. So I said, well, what I want to do is I'm going to turn my office into a shared co-working space for my team. So yeah. now, now we'll have like five or six cubicles and we'll have a co-working space, which is like soft seating in the round, yeah. whiteboards. Um, and from the very beginning, I tried to create a culture of, first of all, identifying the strength of... Um, the, the area of maximum influence for everybody on our team. And you use assessments to do this. Like you use strength finders and go, okay, there's four yeah. categories. Who's the best in each of the four categories? We're going to do APEST, which is Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Shepherd, Teacher, which is basically like the entrepreneur, the, the one who critiques, then the prophet is the one who critiques and asks questions. The teacher is sort of like the system and person who organizes the evangelist is the recruiter, the inviter, marketing, you know, and the shepherd is the one who provides guidance and care. So we figured out who's the lead voice in each one of those. And, um, and we took a couple of other assessments too. Like, so when we, when it would come time to, let's say, set goals and priorities or make decisions, um, one of the tools that we used, for example, is called voice order. So with voice order, um, apostles and evangelists typically like to go first and they use up all the oxygen in the room because they're typically <laughs> like the idea people or the connector people. Yeah. And then uh, prophets often have a unique angle and sometimes have difficulty explaining their angle or it sounds like maybe angry or, yeah. <laughs> or weird. Yeah. And then the teachers just like to ask a lot of questions and the shepherds typically tend to be more quiet because mm. they're thinking about care. And how, how's this going to hit the people? And I don't really know if these guys understand what this means to the ordinary person. So we basically flip the order where it's like the shepherd goes first, then the prophet goes, then the teacher, then the evangelist and the apostle. And what happens then is you get actually get to hear all five voices fully instead of just the entrepreneur going first and, and basically sort of rolling everybody over without even realizing they're doing it. Um, and it did, it created a new culture. Yeah. And we were leading global mission and building that same culture out at the edges of our influence. And it it didn't seem significant the first one, two or three years. But like around year three and four, what we were doing globally started to go into multiplication. So it's mm -hmm. like 7,000 microchurches now. 
Okay. Um, but it also got noticed at home. Yeah. So other teams and departments started going, like, you guys seem to be having a lot more fun, fun. than anybody else. <laughs> you also seem to be like crazy fruitful. Yeah. Like what God's doing through your team. And so guess what? Another team started doing the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so you're... what happens is it's... I'm interrupting this amazing interview because I want to tell you about something really quickly. I want to tell you about followers made. A lot of us have been in church for a very long time, and yet we are, you know, we have problems because we don't exactly know what it means to follow Jesus. And it's not actually sitting in a pew or sitting in a seat listening to a preacher. It's actually developing the gifts and call that God has on our lives and also developing intimacy with Jesus. Now, dudes, I know that word intimacy seems a little weird, but give it a chance. We want to help you develop your relationship with Jesus and develop the call of God that is on your life. And so we would love for you to text 480-531-9015 and do this for me. Text hello to 480-531-9015. I'm going to get back to you and we would love to set up a time to show you what that system followers made looks like and how we might help you uh, follow Jesus better in your context. Now back to the interview. <laughs> Starts creating a new culture within the old. So you don't have to like rip everything down and knock everything out. You just start small, start with one team, and you can change culture a bit over time. Yeah, you are. I think one of the things that R Rob said there is really important, the, the deal about titles is, yes. is um, it's a simple switch from rank-based titles to role-based titles okay you know, say, um you know because so many of our titles delineate you know who's in charge and who has who who who's the corporal who's the lieutenant who's the general you know all that and you just don't find that language in the new testament i mean yeah, even no, in the don't. times that paul does introduce like in romans when he does mention he's an apostle he doesn't say i'm paul i i am apostle paul right you know <laughs> He doesn't yeah. say that. He says, I'm Paul, an apostle. You know, yeah. that's my role. Yeah. He, I'm not here to rank. And he always uses servant first, right. by the way. Yes, he does. Or slave or yeah, prisoner. Or, yeah, <laughs> slave, doulos. Yeah. Doulos, the most abject uh -huh. term that you could use. Mm -hmm. And when, when people, when you have structural authority, like I did in that church, and you purposely never use it, and you constantly actually downplay it and even deconstruct it, by doing things like I won't take the title, I won't take the office, I'm going to repurpose these things, it it has a really profound impact. People start mm -hmm. picking up like, oh, I see this culture is about um, descending and then about serving and washing feet, and that's where Lance mentioned, you know, organic hierarchy. It actually increased my influence. Yeah, yeah, I I could see that. Yeah. That's exactly what Jesus realized, did. Oh, this isn't really about his yeah. ego. Like yeah. he really is trying to help me become the best version of me and to get to my maximum influence. Right. And you know what? You know what happens if you genuinely do that because you love somebody? They love you a lot back. Yeah, I want to back <laughs> up for a second because you were you're talking about voice order, and uh, so I'm guessing you have read the five voices. Yeah, that's uh, where we got with them giant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Book. yeah. So, um, I have, recommend that book all the time. Yes, yes. I, I'm very much at, uh, if you want to, from a from a church uh, spiritual level, uh, apostle prophet area, or what they would probably term uh, pioneer creative. So I'd be a creative mm -hmm. pioneer because the mm -hmm. first one is the pioneer, and then my ancillary, my secondary is creative. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that's a big deal. I've had to do it with my team because I, I would go in and go, this is what we're going to do. And then everybody else yeah. in the background is like, yeah, when Chesley comes in, we just, you know, we just do what he wants to do. And I just started realizing, like, I'm driving my team up the wall and they're not, we're not being as effective. So I stopped yeah. talking and having my, you know, my pastors that's go good. first. Yeah. Yeah. Because what happens is the intelligence of Jesus shows up once again. It's yeah. the body of Christ. I mean, it's Jesus in everybody. So, yeah. you know, he poured out gifts to men. That's that's the precursor to 
and he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers. And so that principle of I must decrease so that he must increase is, look, hey, on my team, the more I decrease, the more Jesus increases and mm -hmm. manifests himself in our midst. Man, I mean, who doesn't want more Jesus? Right. <laughs> right. So I want to... Uh, Kind of so my audience is more uh, young leaders, not necessarily church leaders, and so I've been talking and bringing some guests on. I had a friend of mine that worked on the Holacracy movement at Zappos mm. when it first came out. Mm. I know you guys talk about that in your book a little bit, um, mm -hmm. but this movement towards decentralized leadership—it's not just a church practice; it's something that can work for uh, any organization. I want you to go into. Um, what does that look like? How do you unleash people in their gifting uh, through this through this type of process? Well, I think I've mentioned one step already. I mean, one part is being intentional about um, assessing everybody's gifts, yep. passions, story, like helping everybody find their sweet spot or what we call their calling zone, and mm -hmm. building teams around that kind of collaboration um, versus starting with all the predetermined slots and and a list of duties. Now, I know there's a balancing point in there yeah. because organizations have jobs that need to get done, mm -hmm. but trying to align people's calling zone um, with their role is essential. Um, and there's so many good tools to do that. No. Yeah, I'm hearing Bruce Bugby in you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Bruce is a friend of mine. Yeah. You know, yeah. try to leverage the gifts, talents, and passions of their people for maximum return. Yeah. And of course, the church was designed this way. Yep. <laughs> you know, it was like God's intent from the very beginning. Um, I think a second thing, too, is, um, and I'll, I want to share this one with um, Lance, is, you know, you create a culture where you have um, like shared agreements and clear processes or processes and like tools and rhythms that create that culture of um, collegial, egalitarian, um, mutual submission, servant-based leadership. And uh, I know we don't have time in the podcast to get drilled down deep into that today. Um, but it's interesting. There's organizations, and I'm at this room, I'm going to hand it off to Lance, like Morningstar, which basically is like the biggest company that's harvesting tomatoes, turning it into a gazillion different products. And uh, it's like a billion dollar organization. And if you look at their systems and their processes, they're basically all based in the Bible. I don't even know if they know that. It's crazy. <laughs> but it's nuts. The way, and so it's basically a secular organization that was founded by actually kind of a guy who's a libertarian. And that was the philosophy that drove him. But there are literally no bosses in this whole organization. Zero bosses. And like the 4,500 like, 4, employees. Wow. That's that's a and lot. They're, they're making the decisions together on the future of the company, all the way down to how things actually work on the floor. Um, and so I, I'll hand it off to Lance because he's closer. Well, well, I think that that's a good example. Uh, Morningstar is a really good example because I mean, this is you know they haven't been going ten years; they've been going like forty-five wow. years. Okay, uh, maybe maybe a little longer actually. And like Rob said, if you had pizza or spaghetti or you had ketchup in the last week, you had a Morningstar product. Okay. okay. And that's how big they are. So, um, uh, not one. And so one of their guiding philosophies is that no one uh, can use force against yeah. anyone. No one can use force or control on anyone. The CEO, no one. So no, no one has unilateral power and authority to fire anyone. Now, do people get fired? Yes, they do. But there is a process, and there's collegiality. And more often than not, in fact, we've, we've uh, uh, Rob and I have interviewed Doug Kirkpatrick, um, one of the lead guys there that's been there for 
like 40 years. Again, shameless plug. Listen to that podcast. Listen we'll to the church we'll and the Starfish in the Church podcast. Yes. Yeah, because it really is. It's it's very enlightening. It's fantastic. So, you know, it's it, more often than not, people don't get fired, but they get um, repositioned because a lot of times you've got really good people that are in the wrong position. And this happens in sports all the time. I mean, you know, a lot of Major League Baseball players, you find out later after a Hall of Fame career that this incredible catcher actually was signed as a second baseman. But as he started moving through the system, they found out oh, he's better over here. You know, Babe Ruth was a phenomenal pitcher. pitcher. A lot of people yeah. forget he, he was a pitcher and a great pitcher. Yeah. But then before they had the DH, you know, he'd get up and he's hitting home runs and no one was hitting home runs. And they're like, right. eh, we ought to have him in the lineup every day. You every know? day. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if we focus on character and calling – and us as leaders, rather than saying my job is to assign tasks and to manage people and make sure that those tasks are getting done on time. No, my role here is to equip the people around me and resource them. And a big part of that equipping and resource is exactly what Rob said, was helping them discover their gifts and their callings, refine those gifts and callings, and set them free Yeah. Um, you know, to exercise and use them. And so a big part of the process is, is that the people that are closest to the issue are the ones that make the decision for the yes. issue. You know, and so often in our systems, it's not that way. And you've got some, you know, top pyramid leader that is making decisions for something that really they're not, they don't, they're not as smart about it as the people that are right in front of it. Yeah, they're too far removed. They can't speak into it. Right. Too far removed. Right. Yeah. You know, another, just this one, I thought was fascinating. There's a very famous study um, of uh, GM factories versus Toyota factories. And mm. GM actually let Toyota take over one of their factories as an experiment because they were like, what you guys do over there would never work here. You know, it's like Americans. Like, you want to work in Japan, but won't work in America. <laughs> you know? And uh, so one of the things, for example, that was drastically different they created a crowdsource grassroots open feedback loop on everything on the factory floor so that anyone could provide in real time feedback and you would actually there was a they actually had like a, an employee could stop the line any employee could stop the line to make an innovation or a suggestion and i mean think about that it sounds kind of insane like if you're the head of GM, I'm sure it's like, that's total waste of time, chaos. <laughs> What's crazy, if yeah. you look at the percentage of the suggestions that they implemented, it's like upwards of 90%. Wow. Because guess what? These people are on the line. They know, they know what works work and doesn't better. work on the line. Yeah. And if you give them a chance, they don't want their life to be worse. Yeah. So, and they want the company to make money because their future rises and falls with the company. Like, yeah. and if you get someone who puts in ten bad suggestions, that doesn't mean you can't walk up to that person and have a conversation about the ten suggestions and try to understand where that's coming from. Right. But it's like a real in real time Wikipedia is what they created. Yeah, that makes sense. You know? and, and for a and for if you look an at industry, the studies, the yeah. Toyota factory. I mean, they buried GM. Yeah, yeah. And when GM adopted their uh, their approach, their productivity surged. Yeah. So when you think about this sort of organizational structure, um, obviously I can almost, well, I'm not almost, I even fight with some of these objections towards it, right? Um, uh, how, how do you make sure somebody doesn't go rogue? Um, obviously one of the biggest problems that Paul had in the new Testament was, uh, heresy. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. what sort of controls are in place? What's the role? I, I'm asking two questions. I'm trying not to basically what's the role of leadership in this, in this system. And then what are the controls that you put in place to make sure things don't like go like haywire and yeah. off the deep end? Yeah. Well, the role, you know, the role of leadership, you know, kind of, and this isn't necessarily our definition of leadership, but the big part of the role of, of leadership is to help everyone 
on every team become their most powerful self. You know, understanding that there are degrees, you know, there's 20-fold, 40-fold, 60-fold uh, giftings, you know. But that person with a 20-fold gifting very well may have the answer on that given day at the moment that the person with this 80-fold gifting may not have. So it's not to make everybody just as powerful as everybody, but it's to make everybody their most powerful self. And there is equality in voice and opportunity. Everyone has the same opportunity to know anything. So there's a freedom of information, completely 100% freedom of, of, of information. We're not hiding anything. Uh, Jesus said, bring it to the light. People that want to hide things, that want to do um, NDAs and things like that, which you, which is more and more prolific in the church, which is just blows my mind that we accept that that kind of stuff <laughs> what are um, we not what are we not disclosing i i don't know whatever exactly why do you <laughs> like, want to hide something if you want to hide something that'll be a clue right yeah i'm I like mean, all the other stuff is kind of already in the manual anyways i'm like <laughs> if it's other things it's, then it's, it's probably it a problem it whatever it ought to clue Sorry. us in so getting to the second part of that yeah. is, so it doesn't go all rogue and this is part of what yeah. we call the organic hierarchy as part of the process is is we call the advice process uh, and so the advice processes uh, means that anyone can make a decision, but they have to seek advice of, of those in the organization that's going to affect. So let's say, let's say that I'm on a team here, and I've come across some incredible printer. Let's say, and I'm like, man, we need to get that printer. Man, that's that. This is going to change everything for us. You know, we can print signs. We yada 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 yada. Maybe it's the 3D, whatever. And it's you know eight thousand bucks. And so I know within our budget, you know, there's money there. I can go out and buy that printer, but I have to seek the. So if we're on a team together, I have to go to Chesley. I have to go to Rob. I have to go to Susan. I have to go to Debbie. And say, hey, here's what I found. Here's here's the pros that I'm finding. Here's the cons. Yada yada yada. And then I have to get your advice on it. Give you a little time to reflect on it. Give feedback. I don't have to take your advice, but I have to listen to your advice. Now, if I decide to go and pull the trigger on that printer, uh, it's on me. And so, if this thing doesn't work if it costs us money rather than makes us money if it costs us time rather than expands our time guess what chesley and rob and debbie and susan are going to be coming to me going hey bud we told you what we thought that was not a good idea so you are held accountable so the advice process holds you accountable for the decisions that you make and so then there's other processes that you can have in place that says, you know, every four months or ever whatever, you know, we come together and we, we actually sit down. We don't do anonymous evaluations of one another. No, we sit in a circle and we look at one another and we speak into one another's life and we encourage one another to betterment. And, and we can always upbraid one another too. You know, we can rebuke yeah. and love one another. Okay. Anybody can be rebuked at any point, you know, in love. Wow. And I would highlight what, what Lance is describing is you're saying, what's the role of leadership? It's basically kind of three things. One is you're defining the fractal that defines your organization. So the fractal is the simplest possible repeating pattern in a system. So a mm -hmm. pine cone is made up of a fractal or yeah. a pineapple is made. It's that same design repeated over and over again. Every organization has to have a, a very clear fractal. So like the Kansas City Underground, that's defined by our, our mission, fill Kansas City with the beauty, justice, good news of Jesus, our vision, missionary in every street, microchurch in every network of relationships, our manifesto, which is our set of values, the Apostles' Creed is our faith statement. Like the, the fractal is what the leader um, kind of seeds and guards as DNA. The second thing that Lance is describing here is culture. Then you create a culture of, of actualizing those values, which is what he was talking about. Like we use the practices he was talking about. So if something goes sideways, I'm the one who's like, hey, let's use the advice process. And we are gonna hold each other accountable. We're gonna have a conversation about, yeah. like today, the finance director 
wrote me, you know, and we're equals on the team. And he was like, hey, I have a question about one of your expenses. It's not in line with our values. And I, and I wrote back and I was like, yeah, I felt conflicted when I made it. Yeah, he was like, yeah, when I took Lance for that big barbecue dinner, you know, we really, we were just no, hanging out, you know. Long-term parking. So it's like <laughs> oh, yeah. 12 bucks more a day. But I was running mm. late. And I was like, yeah. I'm afraid if I do the long-term parking, I'm not going to make it. So I told him, I'm like, I was conflicted, but I chose to not miss the flight and I'd be glad to pay the difference. And he's like, nope, I just needed to have this conversation with you. Moving forward, maybe you can plan a little bit better to leave a little earlier. <laughs> you know, and it was like, you're right. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to pay three times as much for parking because we value the poor. That's one of our values. Yeah. You know what That's I mean? Good. And so I kind of wasted, and I told him, I'm going to write a check because I didn't live into our values fully. He's like, no, you're not. It's okay because we have grace, but moving forward. But I love that we have a culture where it's like anyone can look at anything we're doing and, and give each other advice and counsel and, and accountability. So yeah. the leader creates that culture, you know, and Timmy literally thanked me at the end. He's like, man, I'm so grateful to be on a team where we can have these conversations and it's right. welcome. No one's threatened. The yeah. third thing then, so it's like the fractal, the culture. And then third thing is then it's equipping, which also Lance is getting into. Like my job is to help everybody else around me get to their maximum level of influence. And it is a family tree. It's not an org chart. That's like eventually really they hopefully they don't even need me around anymore. I don't even need to be in the room because it's a family that successfully launched all these other families. And I'll, you know, we have four hubs that are emerging now in our city. And it's not like we're the mothership hub and everyone does what we say. It's like, no, they're all equal. And we're deciding together about what happens in our region and then sharing the work in the city. So those are, I think those are three. And, and I, I think what Rob was saying there, you know, even about when Timmy came to him, you know, it's, um, uh, the, this is, this is part of it is that anyone can talk to anyone about anything. And so when you have a, a hierarchical system, people are not going to be fully honest with the people that are above them true. in the hierarchy. <laughs> They're just so not true. going to, they're going to tell them what they think they want to hear or they're just going to dance around conflict. And so when you remove all that and say, no, anyone can talk to anyone about anything without fear of retribution, um, because that's part of our culture once again. Um, so there's a conflict. Re and here's what was interesting, Chesley, is that we studied several, um, you know, businesses. And so like you mentioned, holacracy, yeah. and this was true with Zappos. It was true with, uh, Morningstar, it was true with several of the huge, or yeah, yeah, lots of these organizations, huge organizations. And they had, a, the, every one of them had a conflict resolution system. And as we started looking at that, we're like, holy smokes, this is Matthew. Matthew 18. Down to the wires. <laughs> right. Completely. Yeah. Like, bam, bam, bam. The one it was, another is it was, Matthew 18 yeah. policy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was their rule. You know, it was so like if you came to someone else and, you know, if I went to 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 Rob and said, man, you know, hey, Chesley, he died, I died, and he's really getting on my nerves. And Rob's first thing is going, have you gone to Chesley? Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, but man, well, hey, don't say another word to me yeah. until you go to Chesley. Then yeah. I'll be willing to talk to you about it. And that's, I mean, that's written in there. You know, that that's HR stuff. Yeah. For them. Yeah. Are you guys familiar with the Roman concept of the conventus? No. Boy, you got me on that one, but I want to hear about it. <laughs> so, um, if the if the Roman government did not had didn't have an ecclesia set up in a place yet, um, that if you had you would bring in a couple like two or three Roman citizens, and if they convene together to have a convention, that's where we get the word conventus, or that mm. conventus is where we get convention. So they would come together and they would have a conversation. The emperor would bestow his authority in that region on those two, that conversation that those two or three have. And whatever they decided to be done in that, uh, out of that conversation, it was binding in Rome. <laughs> wow. So, um, and so you got this whole piece where Jesus says that. Um, he's, which uh, just is, it's amazing, right? Cause you, you get, uh, you get all these like connection yes. pieces and he's like, 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 so there's this relational pieces you're talking about this old HR and accountability and having this conversation 
uh, with people. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. You three come together, two or three of you, and where wherever you guys are and whatever you guys make a decision, mm. the authority of heaven is on you and whatever decision That's you make so is good. binding. It's like, oh, oh, yeah, it's a political piece. So some, powerful, I think it's going to rewire. Good, some bro. of these concepts are going to rewire the church in a way that will... Uh, that will help us move forward, but it's uh, it's getting close to time, and I don't I want to be honorable of that. So we've got about eight minutes left. Uh, what what do you guys uh, what would you guys like to say that as a final thought for young leaders in this uh, in this space trying to become great Jesus followers, uh, and and they're part of a system that's not like this yet. So what kind of encouragement would you give them? Well, I think that one of the first things that comes to my mind, in fact, we have uh, one of the early on when we really start getting into the leadership systems, one of the things that we talk about is we have a starfish we call the light load leader because Jesus said, he makes this beautiful promise to us. Mm. You know, he says, come to me, you who are worn out and burned out and weary. And he says, uh, come to me. And I'll, I think Eugene Peterson says, I'll give you a rest. He actually says, come into the unforced rhythms of grace is the way Eugene Peterson puts mm-hmm. it. But Jesus says, you know, um, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And when it comes to leadership and you'll hear leaders talk about the burden of leadership and the heavy load of leadership and the, uh, solemnity of it. The, uh, the, the loneliness of, Oh, it's lonely at the top. Well, maybe you shouldn't be at the top. <laughs> You know, no one's supposed to be at the top. So um, I would say this to young leaders right now, because so often if you go to a church planning conference or you go to a leading uh, leadership conference, they don't introduce Pastor Bob, who has been pastoring for 25 years with a church of 75 people, has been faithful. No, it's going to be this star, that star, this star. And so many of these young leaders that are sitting out in the audience are hoping that they're going to be the next one of that. And we would say, no, you do not want to be that. That is not what you want to be. You don't have to be a burned out dude at 40 or at 35 or 38 or whatever. Um, this type of leadership, the way Jesus designed it, is a lighter form of leadership. It doesn't mean you won't work. You will work and you will work hard. <laughs> yeah. But it'll be a different type of stress. There's a type of work that at the end of the day, you lay down in bed and you're tired and you're worn out, but you sleep well. And then there's another type of leadership that you're tired and you're worn out and you have trouble going to sleep. Mm-hmm. And so this is that type of leadership. And as Rob said, it's just a lot more fun. And Jesus shows up more thoroughly, more often, and more consistently in it. Yeah. As you say that, I'm thinking about the only time I can't sleep when it comes to that stuff is because <laughs> it's all my heart problems. It's all my problems in yeah. uh, like Jesus is dealing with me and my sin issue. So that's good. That's good. It'll preach. What about you, Rob? Well, I would, if you're a young leader, uh, I want to thank you because I think the level of cultural savvy of a young leader now in terms of looking at kind of hierarchical forms of leadership, there's just a lot more distrust, I think, of that ladder. Um, and when we, you know, the dark side of that is, you know, becoming cynical to where you don't want to build anything. Um, so any leaders listening to this, a young leader, you're you're finding a way, I think, to say no to cynicism, uh, but also say yes to an empowering kind of servant-based form of leadership. And that's inspiring. And I've seen, like I'm pretty involved, for example, with Exponential. And I'm telling you, 20 years ago, every church planner literally wanted to be Andy Stanley. Yeah. Like, they, they're like, how do I do that? Yeah. The church planners I'm meeting with now, like young church planners in their 20s and 30s, none of them want to do that anymore. They're like, thinking about their city and how do we mm-hmm. fill the city more with Jesus. And, and they're not just thinking about like how many thousands of people can I get to come to my church They're thinking about networks and they're thinking about a fusion of work in this social space and the economic space and the, 
cultural space and the educational space and it's a much more holistic vision of like shalom and it seems to be a stronger desire to truly have peer-based teams and i'm telling you that is one of the most encouraging things mm -hmm. about the future of the church is when i'm in and this happens fairly common i'm in a room with 20 or 30 young church planners and they don't want to be andy stanley anymore and i'm not trying to trash andy stanley but like that whole thing of like, I'm going to be the mega church guy. Yeah, yeah. So I was supposed to say, yes, that's so exciting to me that you're starting at that place. Yeah. And then secondly, um, as basic as this sounds, you know, hold to Jesus as your leadership model. And just remember the one, like every, Paul says everything is under his feet. That was the one who came in the room and washed everybody else's feet. Yeah. You know, and to think That's about good. the one who's the creator and sustainer, who truly is the name above every name, above all principalities and powers and authority, to think that you would look down at your feet and he's washing them. Like, I literally wish we could wash the feet of the people that are listening to this right now and just say, let that be your guiding metaphor yeah follow good. jesus in the great descent that's really good really good mm. all right where can we find you online where where would we be able to follow you and learn from you guys <laughs> my website is the awesome rob wegner number one <laughs> person.com <laughs> yeah leader of leaders of awesome greatness leaders no we uh, they can it just came out. You should shorten you that to L five leadership or what? No, I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just like Rob Wagner at, at Twitter. And, okay. Uh, Rob Wagner. I got in early into social media, so I have like all the Rob yeah. Wagner accounts. There you go. Yeah. There you go. I got the, I got Wagner the last four. Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got them all. <laughs> yeah. I got mine, but they, they can also go to the starfishinthespirit.com. Okay. Yeah. And um, and then even a lot of our our systems as far as coaching and consulting and all that disciplesmade.com, which we talk a lot about disciples made. Yeah, we had Brian and on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, so that was a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, you know. So and we're grateful. I mean, so much of Brian's ingenuity is imported into the book. And yeah. So um, yeah. So disciplesmade.com or the starfish and the spirit.com. But uh, just go buy the book and buy it in tens. We want to encourage people to buy it in multiples of tens. Seriously, no, if you read it with a few friends, <laughs> you get way more out of it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That makes we've sense. We've got discussion questions built into basically every chapter. So, yeah, and I would I would encourage uh, how can you like think through how can you make your teams and your even in your business if you own one, how can you make it look more like this? Because I think yeah. that's that's yeah. the true test of a if somebody that's a disciple don't think in ministry terms but uh how can you expand the kingdom in your own uh your own context and i think this is an opportunity to do that and i tell you i tell you chesley i mean so you know rob and i are um and i'm older than rob and he reminds me of that all the time but anyway uh, <laughs> he's he's still fairly old too so okay. you know uh, so you know i planted the first church I planted was in 1995. And so um, for a lot of older guys, they would say, oh, well, man, I wish I would have known this back then. Uh, well, I mean, Rob, after 25 years of ministry, he just planted a network in Kansas City. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I are joining uh, our best friends that we planted with 26 years ago. We're, we're rejoining them in Huntsville, Alabama next year to plant. And so you're not too old. If you're an older guy, you're not too old. If you're a younger guy, get some older guys and older gals on your team. Absolutely. Um, that, that, you know, have some of the wisdom, but you've got the energy. It takes young men and women to make this stuff happen. Yeah. But we need the foundation of all generations. And it's just a lot more fun. It's just a lot more I, fun. I would agree. I just hung out with Bruce Bugby over this past weekend. Mm. He's going to be 70 this year. So wow. like wow. we were hanging out together in his living room and I wouldn't, that's beautiful. Yeah. I, I wouldn't miss it for the world. It's good stuff. 
Amen. Well, thank you guys. I really appreciated this. Chesley, we love what you're doing, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, man, it's great. Great conversation, brother. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for listening to the Leadful Podcast, hosted by Chesley Lunday. Join us next time to discover insights, to defeat futility, and develop fulfillment. Now it's your turn to lead full. Go, fill the world with hope.